for this afternoon is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 5, the verses 12 to 15. Deuteronomy chapter 5, the verses 12 to 15. And right now, um, at, at this point of Deuteronomy, we see Moses, who has been the leader of Israel all throughout their desert years, They are on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Moses himself has been told he's not allowed to enter into the promised land. And yet he is still interceding before the Lord on behalf of Israel. And this is his last reminder to the people. Deuteronomy is a series of sermons in which it's his last reminder of the people of their their relationship to their God. And his call for them to be faithful to their God. We come to Deuteronomy 5, the verses 12 to 15, which discusses the commandment regarding the Sabbath day. And uh, take some time here while we're reading to notice how it's different from Exodus 20. Exodus 20 deals with slavery, as we read uh, being freed from slavery. Now, take a moment to reflect on how Deuteronomy 5 is a little different. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, pardon me, the uh, Exodus 21 framed it within the framework of creation, and then here we see it framed within uh, delivery from Egypt. Now we'll move ahead to uh, Isaiah Chapter 58, remembering as well this commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Isaiah chapter 58, and we'll read the verses 13 to 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Let's now respond to the word of God by focusing on the fourth commandment as we find it described in Lord's Day 38. We'll be specifically focusing on the second half of the question and answer in Lord's Day 38 in light of the passages that we read. But we'll read the whole thing. You'll be able to find that on page 554 of your book of praise.
What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Free. How much does that word mean for you today? Even in today's world, it's a word which many people yearn for. Sadly, slavery is still alive and well in much of our modern world. It's been made illegal just about everywhere, but according to a study done by the Walk Free Foundation in 2016, there are still an estimated 70 million slaves in the world today. 70 million. Freedom to them would probably mean something very different from freedom to you. When you think of freedom, how much overlap do you think there would be between your reflections on it and theirs? We don't truly understand the full scope of it in the same way that they might think about it. But we do understand the root desire for freedom. Maybe the closest you've come to being free, freed, is being freed from a cast and crutches. Or maybe you've been freed from the constant need for glasses by eye surgery. Maybe you've been freed from a serious illness, from the clutches of depression, anxiety, or more. And... Reflecting on that, you do have a bit of an idea of what it means to be free. We in the Western world do have a bit of an idea. For the first little while, it's like a dream. Every moment of the day is a treasure because you are liberated. You can almost taste the freedom that you have. It's heady, it's intoxicating, and it makes you want to live life to the fullest within the new bounds of freedom that you've been given. But what happens after time passes? Do you keep that memory? Do you keep that motivation, that drive that you have? Or do you begin to take it for granted? Does life start to lose its preciousness and wonder again? Today, this afternoon, we'll be focusing on Israel, where they found themselves after God had set them free. Living in the land of Egypt, year after year, they had settled into a routine. But God has liberated them from it. Now, Forty years later, they're looking back on that. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, they're on the verge of entering into the promised land, and they're looking back on that. 
And we hear Moses speaking to the people, reminding them of what they were set free from. And encouraging them to look ahead with the same mindset in which they were set free. They had been set free by God. And he was calling them to remember that they have not just been set free from something, but they've been set free for something. And today we'll look at this under the following theme and points. Free to worship. First of all, the nature of this freedom, and then the purpose of this freedom. When Moses had recited this part of the law to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 5, they would have had this idea of slavery at the forefront of their minds. After all, their, their great-grandparents, their grandparents, and some of them, even their parents, had been part of that group of Israelites that had been in Egypt for over 400 years, spending, spending much of that time as slaves. Having been forced to work day in and day out, that was all they knew. But now, they were called to look ahead. Moses reminds them of this in verse 15 of our reading from Deuteronomy 5. He says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Pause there for a moment. God was taking them out of their old life and giving them a new and better one. And so along with all of that, he was teaching them a new and a better way to live. He was saying, I'm not just giving you this land in which you're about to enter. I want to teach you how to live life to the freest and to the fullest within that land that I give you. They had lived in the drudgery of working seven days a week as part of their slavery. This is what had bound them time and time again. It was a constant reminder to them of their slavery. Day in and day out, no break. God called them to remember that in light of the Sabbath day. God had set them free from that. But notice what you see here in our passage in Deuteronomy 5. God not only reminds them of what He set them free from, He's not only set them free from slavery, but He set them free for something better. He set them free for worship. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. How often do we remember that? We often remember the first half, reflecting on the parallel of having been set free from sin. That being our slavery. That God has set us free from something. But how often don't we forget the second half? That God has set us free for something. When we do that, though, it influences how we look at this day of rest and all of the days of freedom which God has given us. Take a look to 
at, at what happened to Israel when they forgot this second half. Moving forward to the time of Isaiah, we can see how it led them into a whole new kind of bondage, into a freedom that wasn't really free at all. Israel was, at this point in time, a religious island surrounded by pagan nations. And being in this atmosphere, they were surrounded by those who frankly didn't have a Sabbath day. They may have had holidays, days that they took off for family time, for celebrations, like we find in much of society in North America today, but they had no devoted Sabbath. So when they took time off, It was simply for their own rest, their own benefit, and fulfilling their own wants and desires. We read here Isaiah's call to the people of Israel in response to that. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the day, holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seek your own pleasure, or talk, Idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. The language that we see here, the language to which Isaiah is calling the people of Israel is that of holy ground. He calls them to turn away their foot from the Sabbath. This was a reflection of what happened earlier in Israel's history. Whenever the Lord would appear to the people, whenever the Lord would appear to an individual, He would remind them to take off their sandals because the ground that they were standing on was holy. Think of Moses when he comes before the burning bush. Take off your sandals because you're walking on holy ground. And Joshua, when the angel of the Lord appears before him, take off your sandals because you're walking on holy ground. The language here, turn your foot away from the Sabbath, is a reminder for them to look at the Sabbath day in this same way. You're called to look at the Sabbath day like holy ground. You approach it differently from the rest of life. You need to look at it with different eyes than you would look at at just a simple day of rest. Now, why is it a big deal? Well, for the people of Israel, they had come into a time in which this became a day for doing their own pleasure. Once their pleasure had shifted off of the Lord and onto themselves on this day, suddenly the way that they looked at the day shifted as well. Because if you suddenly look at the Sabbath day, at the Sunday, as it being about you having a break instead of you worshiping God, you start to get a skewed picture of worship. For the Israelites going to the synagogue or to the temple became a chore. The time that they spent on worship became something difficult. It was a hurdle for them to get over. It's something to pass by as fast as you can so that you can get to the part where it's about me and my friends and getting together about family time and about my spare time. Do you hear echoes of your own thoughts here, beloved? Beloved? 
The difficulty with taking this attitude to the Lord's Day is that it begins to infect all of worship. Suddenly, it's not just the Sunday worship services that become a chore, but devotions all around that become a chore. It starts to creep into the rest of worship in your life. Doing devotions around the table, personal devotions, reading and prayer in the morning, spending quiet time with God, devotions with your spouse in the evening. All these kinds of things become burdensome. And suddenly you're bound. Suddenly Sunday is not freeing anymore. Worship is not liberating. Even looking to God through the week isn't a reason for a delight, but it becomes a burden. Because you and I, when we take that perspective, we've taken our eyes off of God and have instead turned them around and placed them on ourselves. And you know what we're saying when we say that as we come to the Lord's Day? Essentially, we're saying, God, we don't really need you anymore. God isn't enough to satisfy us anymore. And then it becomes idolatry. We don't remember anymore that God has set us free. We don't remember the weight of slavery. And we become like the Israelites in the desert, looking back on the burdens of slavery, looking back on their sons being taken away and murdered, and day in and day out labor. And we forget about that, and we're only able to remember that there was food in the land of Egypt. There was food there regularly. So when we look at the Sabbath day, it reveals to us two ways in which we can be bound. The first is that in which we are bound in sin and we're not able and not wanting to look to Jesus Christ. We've lived bound by our sin for so long that we don't know a life that's any different. The Sabbath just becomes another day for work, chores, homework, and our eyes have never been lifted beyond that. The second is that in which we've started to take the Lord for granted And we've started to look lightly at our time of slavery. The result of this is that without meaning to, we begin to teach our children that there are more meaningful words, there are more meaningful things to us in this world than freedom in Christ. That there are things which are more desirable than just coming to God and worship. And personal pleasure moves to the top of that list. The difficulty of this is that it binds us again. Worship becomes a burden again. But God teaches us a new way, a true and a pure freedom. A freedom not just from something, but a freedom for something. In this new perspective, my stopping my evil works becomes not a burden. My following the law of God doesn't become a chore. But as the Lord's Day describes it, it becomes a resting from my evil works. Within the law of God, we find a place 
in which we can breathe. Not suffocated by the weight of sin. Not dragged down by the priorities that this world holds so dear. Within the presence of God, we find the righteousness of Christ. Purifying us. Cutting off the weight of sin. And we walk in the Spirit. Having our eyes redirected to heaven. This becomes something to delight in. We delight in Him. Because through Christ, you and I will have been able to find real joy and real peace spending time with God. Worship becomes meaningful instead of just a speed bump in a day focused on me. And our treasures will be stored up in heaven. This brings us to our second point, the purpose of this freedom. So what can I do, you might ask? Give me some steps to follow. Maybe if you uh, give me a schedule for the day with hours sectioned off for prayer and a list of things that I can or can't do. Can I go to the beach? Can I go bicycling? Do I need to spend more hours in the Word? Well, it's not as simple as that. If you're doing these things just to be more right with God, if you're just trying to fix behavior as part of your solution, you run into the same problem as the Israelites had. If you look a little earlier in the book of Isaiah, a few verses earlier, verse 2, you see the Israelites complaining. Sorry, verse, verse 3. You see the Israelites complaining. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? The answer? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. The Israelites were just concerned about building up bonus points in God's eyes. Their fasts became a reason not to focus their thoughts on God, but to get something from God. Their religious-looking behavior was shown to be self-centered by the rest of their lives. Their focus on themselves. Their enriching themselves at the expense of their laborers. And their willingness to get caught up in all kinds of strife and debate and fighting and arguing. But God has never been interested in just behavior modification. Just changing what you do. He wants the hearts of his people. It's for freedom that you have been set free. Not just freedom from something, but freedom for something. And this is what the prophet Isaiah is getting at. It's not just a shift in actions that we need, but it's a shift in perspective. Writing long lists of what we can or can't do without taking the time to reflect on why we do them or keep from doing them, we'll miss the purpose of the freedom that we've really received. We need to talk to ourselves 
when we see these thoughts rising up in our hearts. When we see our perspective not in line, when we see our view of the Lord's Day not in line with the way the Lord would have it. You see this coming up throughout the book of Psalms again. The psalmist, he's speaking, and he says, and I, and I said to my soul, or I said to myself, depending on the translation, we need to talk to ourselves, reflecting on, all right, why am I thinking this way? Reminding ourselves that our focus is on worship and our relationship with the Lord. If our delight is in the Lord on this day, then we'll truly begin to understand why the, what the Lord's day is all about. And that's what Deuteronomy 5 reminds us of. The Lord's day is about remembering our slavery. It's about being reminded of our misery apart from Christ. It's about recalling the freedom that He brought us into from darkness into light. But it's also about what we've been saved for. Looking ahead, standing on the brink of the promised land and looking ahead. Living a life of worship. Living a life rejoicing in and delighting in the Lord. Each day of rest, time and time again, becomes a little reflection of what we have to look forward to. Each day of rest allows us to realign the focus, taking in the big picture. Every other day we're reminded of ourselves and of our personal situations and our personal needs. Every other day we're able to work to feed ourselves and our families and enjoy the beauty of creation, to savor the gifts that God has given us on this earth. But this day is special. It reminds us of the meaning of our existence. We are put here on this earth for a purpose. And we'll only be really free if we understand that purpose. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The way that this truth is known to you on Sunday changes from family to family. The way that you reflect on this, that you focus your heart on Jesus Christ, changes from family to family. And so that's something that we can think about. But there is always one constant within that. One family might have one set of rules with regards to the Sunday. One family might have another set of things that they do with regards to the Sunday. But there is one constant in that. That God is always at the center of the focus of this day in a special way. Now, if it was up to us, we'd be so quick to lose sight of that. You and I, We're such forgetful people. We so easily and we so quickly forget what we've been saved from. We so easily and we so quickly forget what we've been saved for. But this is why the Sabbath day has been given to us as a gift. It's a gift that we're called to take hold of with both hands. 
And on it we're reminded time and time again of the joys of heaven that lie before us. A gift that's to be held by us as precious. It's not a me day. It's not a personal day. It's God's day. And that's so much better. We are living in the Sabbath day intentionally. We look at it with different eyes than simply another day off in which we do our own pleasure. We look at it with delight. It's His gift to us for that purpose. This is the shift in focus to which God is calling His people. To see it as a constant remembrance of what you've been saved from and for. And this results in a life in which everything can be stripped away. Everything can be stripped away, but you have this one constant. You are able to delight in knowing that you belong to your Father in heaven, to Yahweh, your covenant God, through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And that there will be a day when you'll be able to delight in His very presence. But this change of heart is not just something that God asks of us. This change of heart is also a gift that God himself provides. Lean on the Lord if the day that he gives isn't a delight to you. Pray to him. Pray for him to work in you through the Holy Spirit to change your perspective, to change your view of the Sabbath day. That each time it can be a delight for you. That you can delight in the company of the body of Christ, the other members of the church, as imperfect as they can be. That you can delight in a day set aside for worship. And that you can delight in your God. And know this. If you really do ask in faith, God will answer. And this Sabbath day will become a fountain that overflows to every corner of your life as you delight in your God. It overflows to your public worship, to your private worship, to your family worship. It overflows from there to your day-to-day tasks, your every breath of the day, and more. You'll see this grace freely offered, freely given, spilling over to all of life, so that you can begin to taste the goodness of the Lord already in this life. And as our catechism says, So beginning in this life, the eternal Sabbath. Amen.